Shoot the defense, the best podcast in the world. We're out here. I keep saying Henri's a forward. Richie, who's the best striker you played against? Henri. <laughs> and the fact that we had now taken our country and put our country on the map of world soccer, being the first African nation, the third world nation in the whole world to win an Olympic gold medal in soccer, you know, it was, it was unbelievable. If you're going to take the time to go and get a pig head and break my locker open and, and wrap my clothes in it, I send in a different message to me. I've had to protect my family from going out into the street because you'll have random people that just come and abusing them racially. Even some old school managers who are British, they still have the same racial undertones like the man in the street who they're trying to condemn. All right, here we go. Welcome to another edition of Shoot the Defence. I'm Hostel. I've got Steve there with me right here. How are you doing, Steve? You good? Hi, Stel. I'm good. Are you? Yeah, all good, mate. How was your trip to, to Anfield at the weekend? Really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I enjoyed the Liverpool experience. I was doing some some media duty for the BBC. I've only ever been as an away supporter. Um, so you're behind the goal um, often. And I was sat in the main stand and I could really appreciate, you know, what people talk about, as you know, what Anfield generates and, uh, and to be part of it. And for Liverpool to be good without being great, um, it was it was a very special home game for them. Absolutely. What was the atmosphere like? Is that the first time you've been to a Liverpool game where it's obviously first home game of the season, people buzzing? Yes. Uh, I mean, I had the headphones on and that, but like I say, I'm normally behind the goal with the away supporters of Manchester City. Uh, so to be right on the halfway line and, and to just really get the four sides of the stadium, it was amazing. Uh, there was the 97th sad um, victim of the Hillsborough disaster, which was obviously well celebrated just before kickoff. Uh, and obviously the, the cop with all their anthems in, in, in full voice and the team playing well and winning. It was it, it was great. It was great to be a Liverpool fan. And obviously for me to be a neutral, it was great to experience something for the first time. Absolutely. Well, we've got a wonderful special guest here. It's his debut on Shooting Defence. He's a good friend of ours. Morecambe defender, former Man United, former Leeds United, Scott Woodson. Scott, welcome, man. How you doing? Cheers, guys. Yeah, uh, very well. Doing good. Thanks. Uh, nice to be here. So I'm looking forward to it. Great to have you on, Giza. How's uh, life at your new club? Yeah, it's been good. Um, it's been a good start. We've um, obviously the first time more have ever been in League One. So it's obviously going to be challenging at times. But uh, so far, so good. I think that's four points uh, from four games. Lost to Rotherham on Tuesday, which was a tough game, really. Should have um, should have got at least a point. I mean, very unlucky on Saturday away at Gillingham. Um, lost 2-1 to two set pieces. Uh, small margins, but, but played well for large parts and you know, it's look things are looking looking very positive, yeah. Well, you haven't been there long, have you? So, in terms of getting that match sharpness, is it difficult to get back into the swing of things, especially after such a long time out? A few months, obviously, no preseason, all that. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, I picked up an injury uh, in the middle of March, which sort of ended my season a bit earlier. And then, obviously, I've only joined being at Morecambe while well, the season had started. So, obviously, I hadn't had a full preseason. So, it is it is difficult. To get, I'm going to have to be patient. Um. And I've only came on in one game so far, so it's been a little bit frustrating, but I understand it at the same time. Um, so, and yeah, you know, any player will tell you it's tough when you don't have a full pre-season. And, you know, obviously, like I say, I'll have to be patient. And But I feel like I'm getting there, I'm getting sharper, getting fitter now, being there a couple of weeks, so the more more training and more, uh, more sharpness, is, I can feel it coming. Excellent. Well, fingers crossed, you get back to match fitness and you'll be back in that first team, mate. Ah, cheers, mate. Excellent. Right, um, let's kick off 
with um, Man United against Southampton. I should say Southampton against Man United. I want to get this one out of the way first because obviously Scott is here and he's fresh and I don't want to bore him later on. So um, we'll talk about this draw. Southampton won, Man United won. Steve, we spoke about how Man United beat Leeds last week and how they had more legs, had more running, more energy. And it seemed that on Sunday that Southampton matched Manchester United in terms of the same thing. Um, they went a goal ahead through a big deflection, but United fought back. But even after that equaliser, it was similar to the Europa League final. United didn't have an answer to, to even get a second goal. So let's talk about Southampton first, mate. I want to give them all the credit because Harson Hall has come under a lot of criticism in the past. And after that opening day defeat, people already started saying, oh, maybe he's not the guy and yada, yada, yada. But good result for him, no? A brilliant result. Um, I think you take a point against Manchester United if you're Southampton uh, every season. Uh, bearing in mind Armstrong could have had a hat-trick. Uh, che Adams was a handful. Um, and I really came to the conclusion on the back of a signing a five-year contract that Ward-Prowse is brilliant. Um, one of those club men um, could end up being a, a Letitia-type figure, uh, a one-club man. You don't know what the future holds. Uh, we know that can change. But he just looks a brilliant club player for Southampton. Um, you did mention United didn't really follow up with a similar performance to what they put in against Leeds, which was an ideal fixture for them. That's been proven now two years running. Probably the two teams who've got the most legs in the Premier League, I thought, last week anyway. I'm going to say it. I'll never make an excuse for Manchester United as a Manchester City supporter, but I thought the grass was kept long. Uh, Brighton do this, I think, against the big boys. And I think Southampton did it because I was watching the game with friends and everyone was wondering you know, when it was going to speed up. Thought it was ponderous. Um, thought it was laboured. So that said, I, I put my eyes to the surface um, quite passionately, really. And I, I just didn't think it played as manicured as like the Arsenal game against Chelsea, City at the Etihad, Liverpool at Anfield. And I just thought that slowed United down. And then obviously United have got similar questions that need to be answered in the next few weeks. Still is, have they got a plan B if anything like that does happen? Because they did last year, they did have a plan B because all those 12 games that they were behind in, they came back to win. But on Saturday, sorry, it was Sunday lunchtime. For me, it was quite obvious that the possession and the last third entries of Southampton in the last 10 or 15 minutes is what they were going to be the winners. So the fact that they finished the game well, Southampton, and they got a point against Manchester United, I think was actually really good. Yeah, I think we need to take into consideration that Danny Ings, their main guy, left in the summer, was sold. Uh, they brought in a relatively inexperienced striker, Armstrong from Blackburn Rovers, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm -hmm. Vestergaard's gone. So that's two key players. You mentioned Ward Prowse is still there. Obviously, Walcott is still there. But when you look at that back line, fairly inexperienced in comparison to what Man United had going forward. Um, but I just want to go back to what I, what I mentioned at the beginning in terms of Southampton's energy and the pressing mm -hmm. very, very high up the pitch. It's almost as if, when you do that against Man United with that back line, they can't cope. Well, yes. Uh, I mean, Scott is probably a better judge to talk about Harry Maguire. It appears that, you know, the question marks that were levelled at him, well, all his career, they got put to one side, basically, for him coming back from injury to play for England so heroically um, and always is available for Manchester United. He's actually got rid of a few question marks that have been put out, but he looked really slow in possession on Saturday. Uh, he doesn't like to be hurried at all. I think it'll be a lesson for the other teams to go against Man United is to 
put speed on the front line and put them under pressure. Uh, Shaw played on the back foot. He wasn't really flying up and down. And like you say, yeah, I think Livermento, is, it the, is that how you pronounce it? The lad from That's Chelsea right, yeah. come in. He provided some real unexpected energy that nobody knew anything about him and possibly caught United cold as well. And Armstrong's like a, a Paul Dickoff type, uh, probably scores more goals, but he's like a wasp around the centre-half. So, yeah, probably um, Southampton, who are expected to struggle this year, gave us um, some indication that they, they actually might be OK. Scott, before I ask you about Oli, who you know quite well, <laughs> given your time at United, let's go back to what Steve said about, A, the, the pitch, the way that Southampton let the grass grow. As a pro footballer, how difficult is it to play the system that you want to play, knowing that your opponents have deliberately grown the grass? Yeah, and uh, it'll be frustrating. They would have knew that as soon as they arrived at the stadium, all teams, they go out to check the pitch. They would have seen that and they would have knew that. And I think especially with the Man United and how they play, especially away from home, I think they've equaled Arsenal's record, haven't they? 27 games. 27, yeah. And with the stuff of coming behind in games, a lot of it was, well, how Man United... Man United have always been associated with playing fast attacking football. So if you can't, as a and Steve will know this as well, when you can't wrap them passes 20, 30 yards, slick, crisp along the floor, and there's a bit of dew on the grass and it can be really slippy, it, it just it takes away a huge part of, of Man United's attack. And you know, can say what you want. If that if that's what they have done, it it's clever from Southampton. Yeah, I had, I remember we went to Newport, different level, but we were playing for Plymouth and we were all about playing along the grass, passing out from the back, fast attacking football. Went to Newport, who had no intention of that. They, the grass was like this. And it's just it just takes away your whole the whole impetus of your game. Um, so straight away, it was um, it was going to be difficult, but I completely echo what, what Steve said. He just looked very laboured, lacklustered. Um, and like you say, you have to give Southampton massive credit for how they set up tactically. Um, the front two caused all, all sorts of problems. Um, and they, one I thought was interesting as well is how they went 4-4-2. Very few teams play that way these days. So I think it was brave from the manager. He's obviously sticking to his guns. He believes in, in his, his tactics and, and the process that he's got going on there. Um, but yeah, going back to the original question, if, that, if they did do that, fair play to them. But you know, I think, as Steve said again, United have got to find a way to deal with that. Um, you know, I did think they just looked... Very, you know, Southampton won, got chances winning the ball high up, high press. And, you know, if, if the pitch, if that was at Old Trafford, it might not have happened because they might have moved the ball around the pitch a lot quicker um, and played through the press, but they weren't able to do that. Yeah. Well, and, uh, yeah. I just thought, uh, just another point, just as you were both, you know, tuning it over there. I also thought that the performance of Martial had hell of a lot to be desired. Uh, and I thought it made the chain of events from that. It's bad enough not having a good game yourself, but I thought that encouraged Pogba to go forward because Martial was doing nothing. He saw he was very good Pogba around the box. It encouraged Fernandez to go forward from the number 10 position. So in back play, where you're trying to start things off, you were left with Fred. And I believe that's honestly down to Martial's performance. That's how I saw it. Whereas if he'd had a better game up front, you could have kept him up front on his own and Pogba and Fernandes could have played in the middle of the pitch and, and built up some play and they could have gone from there and built up some speed. But I thought he was so poor that that encouraged the, the top players to try and do a bit and it left Fred like pulling strings and he can't do the job. 
And exactly. And in, uh, as a result, he's put a lot of pressure on the back line. Yes. Um, you know, and, and Scott, I wanted to ask you about Harry Maguire, a guy who came in obviously with a big uh, price tag. As Steve mentioned, they had a very good European championships. But, you know, you played with the likes of Johnny Evans and Rio Ferdinand and Harry Maguire. A lot of United fans these days are trying to put him on that same pedestal. And you, you can't do that, can you? You really can't. No, and I, I, I almost half feel a little bit sorry for him because the price tag is what's going to automatically draw people to them, them conclusions, but that's not his fault. You know, he, he's not said, I'm an £80 million player or, or whatever. I think the, the Van Dijk going for 70 or 75 as well, I feel a bit sorry for him because with him being English and being at a good club like Leicester and he, he probably would have had years left on his contract. I think he's done really well for Man United, to be honest, but something like the pace issue that he's got, and I have as well, you just can't, you can't wait. You've either got fast switch fibers or you haven't. And Steve will know this as well from coaching. You, you could do all the drills you want. That seems to be the big issue with him. And in the comparisons to um, Van Dijk and Ferdinand and, and these types of players, that's why I think hopefully the sign of Rafael Varane will be huge because he will. You know, you could potentially see similarities there with a sort of Vidic and Ferdinand partnership. Varane, similar to Ferdinand, really good on the ball, quick, strong, really good defender. And Maguire, similar to Vidic, really powerful, aggressive, dominant in the air. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that develops in the, in the coming weeks. I'm sure Ollie will be dying to get them two playing together mm. as soon as you can, really. Well, the thing is, you mentioned Vidic and Ferdinand, and they're arguably the best combination uh, central defenders the Premier League has ever seen, arguably, I say, because this is still an argument a lot of people like to discuss. But, you know, Man United fans will see Varane and Maguire and they're going to think, oh, well, they're going to be the perfect partnership. But it's going to take a long time for those two to get used to each other's style, surely, because Varane has come from Real Madrid playing alongside Sergio Ramos is probably one of the greatest defenders ever. He's coming to United to, with Harry Maguire is under a lot of pressure. England player as well. It's going to be difficult for them to, to gel straight away, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, when Varane went to Real Madrid, he was very, very young and he's, he's gone into a dressing room and a, and a team where he's got so much experience in and around him. Like you say, he played alongside Sergio Ramos. He's got in front of him Modric, Casemiro, um, just you know, thousands of games between them. Tony Cruz and then you've got Cruz, Bale ahead and Hazard. And... <laughs> you know, Ronaldo was there. <laughs> uh, when he first joined so he's now he's gone into that team sort of like the young inexperienced player feeding off all these these players around him whereas now he's gone into the Man United dressing room and the Man United team what's he won four Champions Leagues um, you know one or two La Ligas Euros World Cup whatever it was with France they're going to look to him as he he's needs to be the main man here now it's obviously you know it's down to his character and how he he handles himself. Can he take on that? Can he take on that mantle? And listen, he, he, for me, he's, he's top, top. Him and Van Dijk are the best centre-backs in the world for me. And he have been for years. Um, so I believe he can. But like you say, it will take time. It'll take a lot of gelling. Because, um, you know, him and Ramos, they, they played together for years and years. So him and Maguire, you know, they will take time. They'll have to get used to each other on and off the pitch. Um, and that, that only comes with experience and time on the training pitch and, and games. Brilliant. Okay, I need to ask you about this this head coach of Manchester United. Um, you know him, okay? So I don't expect you to, you know, to lavish praise on him. Um, but the fact is, I'm I'm looking 
at this this guy he's coming with a big reputation in terms of a playing um reputation not a managerial reputation we know about Mulder we know about Cardiff but he's coming at United and I think he's stabilized the club I think he's done well given the circumstances a lot of off the field issues be it uh, with the owners, with Woodward, be it transfers, et cetera, et cetera. They have backed him and they have brought in a lot of players. There have been some players who, you know, perhaps haven't worked out, like Van der Beek, who I believe should have started ahead of Matic, but whatever, that is what it is. Um, you know him. What what kind of character is he in the in the dressing room, mate? Because I see him on the touchline, arms folded, he'll gesticulate out full-time, he'll be smiling even if there's a defeat. And a lot of United fans are looking thinking... He doesn't have that ruthlessness in him, but you know him. What is he really like? Is he a different person behind closed doors? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think the, the smiley nature, he's probably had that since he was a baby, really, or a kid. That You just can't... I think that's him just being himself. I don't believe he can, you can flick a switch and turn into this, oh, I'm on the touchline here now for Man United. I've got to be this, this really nasty, snarly guy. That, that's just how he is as a person. But um, yeah, like you say, he was my reserve manager, and I can hundred percent he's got a, a ruthless side to him. I've seen that as a reserve manager, so I'm pretty sure as a first team manager, he'd be exactly the same. He's not like a an angry guy, or you know, he's a good, decent, really decent, good, good fella from my experience with him anyway. But in terms of tough decisions, um, any any ruthlessness like that, he, he, he no no doubt about it. Um, and I think you've seen that even with some of the decisions he's had to make in terms of the transfer market, um, letting players go, keeping players if he wants to. You know, he's he will do what what he thinks best for Man United, and he was very very strong-minded person as well. He believe he has his beliefs and he'll stick to that. And again, I think you've seen that with he's never been swayed by. Um, you know, if you're a manager of Man United, you've got millions of people picking a team, picking the tactics, and. You know, I, I hear a lot of people saying he should play Pogba alongside Matic or Fred or McTominay and Pogba. But, you know, he sees these players every day in training. He likes to play with um, Fred and Matt, McTominay or Matic, doesn't he? Now, that I know a lot of people who don't like that, but he's the manager. He's bold. He's, he doesn't care what people think. And ultimately, I think if you're going to manage one of, if not the biggest clubs in the world, that, that's how you've got to be. And he's certainly got that. I think for the job he's done or doing, um, I think I think he's done a really good job personally. Um, I think it's been tough because of the managers he's had to take over from, who are proven managers and the circumstances of how he got the job. I'm sure it would have been difficult for him in the early stages, but you know he got off to an unbelievable start and then he had a real tough pass, didn't he, when he got the job permanently. And I'm sure he would have learned an awful lot from that. Um, but I think... What he's done, especially in terms of the recruitment, I think the recruitment of the club's changed, and I'm sure he's been a big driving force in that. Um, because there's no doubt the club made huge mistakes uh, transfer-wise. Some of the players they signed, they weren't the right type, they weren't didn't fit the sort of like the profile of of Man United, um, and it just it just didn't work. And I think that's the biggest credit he deserves. I think look at Varane, Sancho, they were linked with these players last summer. They probably what they got. They probably saved themselves, God knows how much money, just waiting a year. They're not, they're not making panic decisions now. I feel in the, in the with the recruitment, and I, I think that's what all the successful clubs do. Man City have done it, Liverpool have done it, and um, hopefully Man United are now back on the way to um, 
to, to, to challenge him for the title and, and the big prizes, the Champions Leagues and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Oli. Well, there's a saying as you know, time will tell. Um, and I'm not fully convinced yet that he's the man to take United forward. Um, but that's because you know the, the results is a results industry. Do you know what I mean? I've been following football for many, many years. I mean, you know, Christ, I remember when Fergie got rid of Kanchelskis in Hughes, and a lot of people were saying, How is it? can he play these youngsters? How can he trust in them? And what happened? We we know what happened. Now I'm not saying that Solskjaer has got the Fergie uh you know magic wand that can turn things around, but he's building something. Um, you can see he's learning from his mistakes. But my main concern as a United fan is, well, his in-game management. Um, and there's certain decisions that he made at the weekend, which obviously I would have preferred him doing diff- different things, which maybe could have affected the game. And other people will tell you a million things, like you just said before, in terms of his, his selection. But are you confident that he is the man to take United forward? Because he signed a new contract anyway, so the club obviously have faith in him. So any United fans are now Oli out, what would you be saying to them? I'd say he just needs a, he needs more time. I I agree that now is now is the time. I feel this next se- this season now, and possibly next season, he's going to need to win a trophy or get really really close. I don't think you can just keep going on another two or three years and oh that'll be seven years now without a trophy. But I think with the signings he's made, if you look at the team on paper now, I just, I just feel the one, one or two short of if you put that eleven on paper and you go wow that that is. That is up there with the likes of Chelsea, City, Liverpool. I think they've got a really good back four. I think the goalkeeping issue, he's got a little bit of a problem there. Um, although I think the guy seems to have done all right in this season so far from what I've seen. Uh, I think Mason Greenwood's going to be a superstar. Um, so, yeah, I, I just say he just needs a bit more time, a bit more back and one or two, one or two more players I, I think could, could really tilt it towards Man United competing, like Liverpool done with Alisson and Van Dijk. I think Varane and Sancho are huge signings for the club. I think the, the one or two shows. Brilliant. Steve, let's talk about Arsenal against Chelsea, mate. Um, Lukaku making his debut, sorry, should I say his second debut for Chelsea, getting on the score sheet. Um, Reese James making it too. Uh, Chelsea absolutely bullied Arsenal. And it's not the first time we've said this about Arsenal being soft. We know, isn't the first time we've said it in, about Chelsea bullying Arsenal in the first place. I mean, I remember Lukaku, um, Drogba absolutely battering them over the years. Um, so it's almost as if nothing had changed, but Chelsea were just so dominant, weren't they, mate? I know Arsenal have got injuries with Bellerin and Lacazette, who else? Uh, Aubameyang was on the bench, Ben White, COVID. <laughs> but even with those players in, I don't think it would have made a difference. Do you? No, I don't. Um, but it was a mismatch, really, physically, uh, tactically, technically. And the fact that Arsenal had to attack with just Martinelli up front meant the turnovers uh, were heavy in, in Chelsea's favour to uh, basically do what they want to Arsenal. Um, I think the pundits on the TV said could have been six or seven. I think that was fair. And obviously, we've probably seen the centre-forward performance uh, of the last, what, 10, 20 years in terms of uh, impact maybe because he's been away for 10 years and, and what have you and we knew he was going to be good but we were thought oh will it take him a few games and he was straight into it straight away and got to say Stel you know if you are underdog in a, in a match and, and Scott will tell you and confirm I'm, I'm sure 
you can't have everything. You can block certain sides of the pitch off. You can stop the odd player or two. You can stem the flow. You can win five minutes of games. You can time waste. But you can't have everything when you're trying to contain. You can have a lot, but you can't have everything. And it seemed what they forgot whilst they were trying to do everything. It was like fingers in the dam. You know, once you once you sort one problem out, there was something else. But the ball into Lukaku's feet was ridiculously on uh, on on so many occasions, and then it, that was like the trigger for 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 huge amounts of problem trauma. But more than problem trauma for Arsenal because he took it into his feet. The defender behind him, um, Pablo Mari, he was he was. He was like a youth team player rather than an experienced player. He was always marking behind him instead of from the side. So he had no chance of getting the ball, in, uh, stealing the ball in front. He was easy to pin. And at that moment, once you've got your defender where you want him, if you're Lukaku, uh, you can turn left, you can turn right, you can roll him, you can bring teammates into play. Once it went into Lukaku's feet, the options were endless. And as we saw... You know, you've got fullback scoring. Mason Mount could have got a couple in the box. Havertz could have got a couple in the box. And it was nearly all done by the ball into uh, Lukaku's feet. So, one, they didn't mark him properly. Two, there was no pressure on the ball to stop the pass going into him. And three, there was nobody in front of Lukaku stopping the ball going into him. So, they basically got that big thing wrong and it absolutely imploded. The movement of Havertz and Mount did them a lot of damage. But I think they identified Kieran Tierney as possibly the weak link because Reese James was having a field day on that yeah. right-hand side. And I think maybe they they knew that Tierney may have been carrying an injury because he went off later on, didn't yeah. he? But he didn't get anywhere near him, did he? No, but, well, for me, Stel, for me, again, roll Scott in, he's a centre-half, he, he, he's doing it for a living presently. It's because the centre-half wasn't marking properly and as I've just discussed, that he was getting pinned by standing behind him. His options were endless, which we've just covered. But what that did do, when it went into Lukaku's feet, once he'd touched it, they'd already done a decent job marking on Mason Mount and Havertz. But because Lukaku could quite easily do lots of things, that drew those players, those defenders, towards to help out, whether it be to cover, whether it be to try and steal the ball off his touch. All of a sudden, you've got uh, Mason Mount and Havertz in the game free as the two number 10s. So there was no point marking them in the first place because once it went into Lukaku's feet, they just became free. So it was a real... I, think, I would describe it as a failed attempt still. Yeah. I, mean, I was watching uh, Gary Neville and Carragher talking about this uh, instance with Lukaku and, and uh, Pablo Mari, and they were talking about Drogba and how Carragher was defending against him. And Scott, it, it just seems that they just wanted to say... A defender has to be smart to deal with Lukaku. That's effectively it, isn't it? You have to be smart and be positionally aware, right? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I watched that game, and yeah, I mean, I feel how can I comment on a Premier League centre back? But you're both spot on. You're just someone who's that strong. Like John Bo is exactly the same. There's just no way Pablo Mari was going to compete physically anyway. And I also think tactically Chelsea, how high the wing backs were. When you're saying about Tierney, it was and that pass and, and Stephen Lewis, when you coached, if if I'm the left back and the ball goes into the striker who's on the left side centre back, he has to narrow off, especially Mount's run, because Zaka was not really doing anything, he wasn't marking Mount or protecting the pass into Lukaku. 
Tierney has to to go with that run. He can't be thinking, oh well, I've got Reese James and he lets um Mount run inside him in behind in between him and Marty. He has to to narrow off and come inside. And that could obviously Reese James acres of space. So I just think the ta- Chelsea tactically were just they had men everywhere. And like Steve said, it all comes it, as soon as that pass gets into the striker's feet. You've got the two tens running off and the wing backs are wide, causing all sorts of problems. Give the full backs massive decisions to make. Do they go in and, and get tight to the number 10, leaving the wing back? Do they uh, edge out towards the wing back, but then the number 10's got too much space? It just I, I thought they were absolutely brilliant, Chelsea. It was, a, it was a complete mismatch, though, Steve, wasn't it? I mean, you look at Arsenal's front line, you've got Martinelli that came back from the Olympics. He's probably knackered. He's a, he's a kid. Saka's probably knackered he's a kid smith rowe is a kid pepe is just shit i'm sorry you know, he's, just, he's just fucking shit honestly um and then in the middle you've got lokonga who's just come in he's fairly inexperienced at, at, at this level anyway shaka who they wanted to get rid of a few weeks ago and then the back four you've got cedric who southampton didn't want holding and Murray shit and then you got tierney and the keeper so from one to eleven also, we're going to get dicked either way. It doesn't matter, does it? Just so a second string, t- uh, string team. Still, just remind me, who was that powerhouse centre midfield player that played well at Old Trafford last year for Arsenal? Oh, Maitland. Well, not Maitland. No. Oh, Partey. He's injured. Partey. Partey, yeah. Got injured so he, in a, he got injured in a pre-season friendly against Chelsea. So he was he was missing too. Um, yeah. Uh, I, like I say, I'm sure Chelsea would have found another, another way and another way again, you know, but... They certainly look devoid of ideas, and and you know the manager gets it, but equally there's there's not enough characters on the pitch there that can sort it out for themselves. It's you know Arteta is bound to get all the criticism, but you didn't see any organising on the pitch. They just thought, oh god, wait, they, they were just they were just beaten. And obviously, looking at the next fixture, uh, Manchester City away, they've obviously got a tough seven days in front of them. So. Uh, Obviously, from my point of view, long may that continue. But there look so many gaps and voids that to pinpoint it to one problem, um, whether it be selection, injuries, COVID, but the way they were set up was a bit of a joke. Mm, Absolutely. Well, uh, the question that is on everyone's lips at the moment when it comes to Mikel Arteta is how long has he got left? Now, I personally think it's too early in the season to be making any changes but with the international break on the horizon, um, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think he'll hang on until December. But um, it just depends on if they can turn things around. Because I think the board are looking at him saying, well, you don't have your first choice squad there. And you've still got Aubameyang, who we gave a new contract to. Hmm. So how long has he got left, Stephen and Scott? How, guys, how long do you think he's got? A Premier League pumping. Um, they can continue to lose. Um and they continue to lose and not score. And I think he's got a bit of time, but there's nearly always a watershed moment. And you can't rule out that they won't get beat three or four uh, by City. And if they get a good hiding by one of the lower teams at home, like the Emirates, I think he'll go. Um, so I think it'll be... Or you think they'll sack him? No, no. I think they'll, I think they'll, they'll sack him, but it'll be the size of the score lines that dictate. Right. Put it this way, Stella, I'm suggesting that I think they will continue to lose... But if they play some good football, uh, draw the odd game, win one, but then lose some one nil, another one nil, then I think they'll be able to keep towing, towing the party line off 
we are work in progress. What that's what all these managers trying to do to buy a bit of time. We we are this, we are that. We're trying to gel. But I also fear that they could get a pumping in the next six or seven weeks. And if that happens, that might be hard to keep him in employment. Well, Scott, he's got injuries. He's got Odegaard that's just come, well, re-signed, should I say. He's signed permanently. I think they spent over 120 million this summer on transfers, which I think is the biggest that they've done ever, really. Um Obviously, the board have faith in him. Otherwise, they wouldn't have given him that war chest, right? So, again, are they going to wait for him to get all his players back to full fitness and then judge? Or, as Steve said, wait for him to get an absolute hiding and uh, give him the chop, so to speak? Because the way I see it is that he's got these players that are obviously injured and whatnot, but it's going to take time for them to get back into the squad, to maintain that fitness. And let's not forget, these players are already on on the uh, in the physio room. They've already got a history with injuries. Partey being one of them. I think it's like the third or fourth time he's been. In fact, I think he arrived injured, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's tough, and I mean, it's never it's never nice to see managers losing the jobs or talked about in that way. But I mean, just like you say, they've lost to Brentford. They've got battered by Chelsea. They've got City. You just can't really at the minute see where a really good win is going to come from for them. They've obviously got, like you say, loads of issues, injuries. And a big thing for me with Arsenal is I just look at Arsenal now as just a mid-table club team. You know, when I was growing up and I first started to enjoy football and obviously you were older than me, Arsenal were like winning leagues, getting to Champions League finals. I think I look at them now and I think they're just like... I just don't know what direction they're sort of going in. And going back to Mikel Arteta and the players, I don't think, well, I don't, Arsenal have historically given a manager, you know, Unai Emery got a fair bit of time after Wenger. So I don't think they'll, they'll panic sack him. But in terms of what you said about giving him the, the war chest and, and bringing the players in, I think now, and I'm sure Steve will know this more than me, a lot less now is just down to the manager on players. They, they will see, oh, we're, we're Arsenal, we want to play a certain way. We can sack the manager, but if we bring in a similar manager who plays a certain way, he'll, he'll want these sort of types of players, if, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? I think there's a lot of people upstairs in clubs now who make decisions on recruitment and, and the styles and types of players and all this type of thing. So I don't think that will affect them. Maybe you might have a bit of sympathy for him, like you say, with not being able to, to feel the strongest. He's just signed Ben White, played one game, now he's got COVID. Partey's a big player for him, he's injured. I'm not sure what the situation with is, is with uh, Aubameyang and Lacazette. Do they want to be there? Willian as well. You know, recruitment's been a big problem for him. I, I think the last few years, some of the players they've signed, I'm, I'm not sure. Going back to United, you can sort of see where Man United are trying. You can see where Man City were going and Liverpool. I'm not really sure what Arsenal in the last three or four years have been trying to where they're trying to go. What what type of team are they trying to build? So um, I think it'd be difficult for them to 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 make it past Christmas. Really, I can't. I just can't see. I just don't think there's like you said, good characters there at that club at the minute. This is oh. it. he looks like a broken man. And I saw Arsenal fans outside the stadium, like on social media, saying, "Come on, do yourself a favor and and walk." Now, obviously, he's not going to listen to them. But pressure bursts pipes, and he's he's only human after all. And he's probably thinking, well, is it really worth being here? Yeah. 
Stell, you know, I feel about there's some compliments here in terms of people's character. But when you see Arteta, the first thing I always think of, he looks hell of a nice guy. Then I see his assistant, Albert, who works with Ryan Giggs with the Wales team. I always think, nice guy. Then I see Steve Round, and I think he's a nice guy. And then I see Ben White, and I think, he looks a nice kid. Being nice, they might not be, but that's how they appear. Mm. They don't look like they've got any presence to me. They don't look like they've got anything that, that, that you fear. I agree. And if you look at them from 1 to 11, look at each one of those players. The only player I could say has got some fight in him at that club is Torreira, and they want to get rid of him. Mm. Where's the fight in that club? Saka, who's he going to fight? Pepe, yeah. who's he going to fight? They can't, they can't fight themselves no. out of a, a paper bag. So no. what are they going to do? Is Aubameyang a, a captain that you'd look at and say, wow, he's so influential? Fuck no. You, you could argue he's not done a thing since the ink was dry on his new contracts. You, you, literally. Yeah, you agree? I no, there seems to be a load of um, apathy characters, just really nice guy where you look across if you were against him and you go, I think actually Gary Neville mentioned this after the Brentford game, yeah, about Ben White. You could say this about almost all their roster. You look across and go, I fancy this today. Because you just look at what they look like and that they, they just look like a load of nice guys. They're not, you, they're not, they're not going to be strong enough um, to compete with the big boys. And that's been that's been like that for almost a decade now, though, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I think, I think I, like I say, you think of Vieira, Petit, yeah, so can but you think of that team too, right? And compare that to what it is now, and you just totally. it's, it's a million miles away, isn't it? It's been like even Wenger that was Scott. Is that what is that what current players are even saying about Arsenal? Because I remember we were talking about this on the podcast ten years ago, like you said, like is this what current players are talking about now? Yeah, of course, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's just so obvious, isn't it? It's it's not even like you say. You look at that. That Arsenal team that was constantly competing with Man United for titles and getting look at his pace and power. They were all six foot. Henri, uh, Wiltor, Vieira, Campbell, Toure, Lauren. You look at them now, and like Steve said, you just it looks, you know, Arsenal shouldn't be getting turned over by a newly promoted team on the first day. It just shouldn't shouldn't happen if what Arsenal are. Um, it's just it's just too easy. Like I say, it's been like that. How many big games have Arsenal won in the last ten years? I remember seeing a stat on Monday Night Football against the top six or the top five. I don't think they'd won a game away from home in years. And it's, it's like you say, it's just something not right. It hasn't been right for a while at that club. For them, only for them to win stuff. Like I say, I just see Arsenal now as as a mid-table nice team. Really, yeah, agreed, agreed. All right, Steve, you're at Anfield. Liverpool yeah. beating Burnley 2-0. Could have been a lot more. Timmy has had a fantastic game at left-back. Um, yes. Trent did as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, Liverpool haven't missed a beat so far this season. I know it's only two games in. And I said this to Semps, who, uh, who's been on the show before, and he's got the, uh, the Views podcast. And I said to him, if Man City do not get Harry Kane or a striker, Liverpool are going to walk this title this season because they're that good. And he right. says, nah, 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 it's too early to say, oh, you know, you can't say that. I'm like, I'm telling you this now because they've got goals all over the pitch, all over the pitch. But the main guys can get you 20, 30 goals. Salah can do that. Mane can do that. Jota can get you 20, 30 goals. I think Firmino can get you 15, 20 this season. And that's not just, in, you know, that's excluding the midfielders. So 
they they bossed Burnley and Burnley were very physical as well. And yet they overcame that hurdle. So I don't know, man. I think Liverpool are, are very, very, very hot uh, favourites for it, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, well, I like it, Stout. I thought you were a bit generous there with the goal count. I see Salah getting 25. I don't see any, any of the others getting 25 uh, or 30. I see them getting 10 or 15. Um, I don't think Mane's ever had those high numbers. I don't think Jota and Firmino will get the 90 minutes because I think they'll share them. Mane had a crap season last year, to be fair. Yeah, a crap season last season. So I'd probably take probably about 20, 30 goals off their title charge uh, compared to possibly what you think of them. But I'm not going to go against you completely because they're very, very good. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll score as, that as that many. They've got Henderson back fit. Whether he can remain fit is another thing. They've got Van Dijk back. The one that fascinated me on Saturday was Trent Alexander-Arnold. I've seen it with Nicholas and Elka at Manchester City. I've seen it with others. Once you have a really, really naughty, naughty hamstring strain like he had in the summer that ruined his summer and he ruined his Euros, obviously, uh, you come back from it. And how do you come back from it? Well, you spend, you spend two months in the gym. Uh, you spend the first three weeks of that in the physio room. And then when you come back, you are a different shape physically. You're a six months older this, this, in this case. And the concern is sprinting again because mentally and physically, You've already had a problem physically and mentally. There's something inside that tells you, I'm not sure about my hamstring now because it, it's got to, once it goes properly for the first time, the likelihood is you're likely to re-injure throughout your career. Let's hope it doesn't. And I watched him be absolutely brilliant on Saturday. He was brilliant, but he never sprinted. He played like a 35-year-old. He was coasting. He was just arriving into midfield. He was around the box. He was crossing. But I just wonder about his sprinting. I also have got to say the same about Van Dyke uh, with that horrific injury. He was brilliant, but twisting and turning and decelerating and, and sprinting, they may just have to be getting into these games to, to get into the big ones, you know, next week, Chelsea, and, and, and to get through the season. But I just wonder if 50% of their back four, who I think are brilliant, are never, ever going to reach physical capacity again because of what the trauma that they've had this summer and last year. Do you think it's fear more than anything? Fear of, uh, you know, it recurring more than anything? I do, yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I say, I saw it with Anelka at City. There was a reason he was playing for City and, and, and not one of the world's best clubs at the time. But when that boy was obviously, he was a boy when he came on the scene at Arsenal, it was his sprinting um, and then his powerful finishing secondary to his sprinting. But he basically stopped sprinting. Now, you know, the, the, they could have said he was lazy, but... I've just seen loads of players who have hamstrings um, problems, and that was a serious one for Alexander Arnold. Change their dynamics about how they play the game. So I'm just going to keep my eye on that, but I really want to reinforce the fact they were both brilliant. The thing is, he's 22 years old, right? And for him to have such a serious hamstring injury, obviously his body is still changing. He's still growing, isn't he? Yes. So that's obviously got to have an effect as well, surely. Well, he was brilliant playing medium-paced. Mm. So again, six games time, you might pick it up against a, a, an opponent where for that stop-start movement, uh, you know, because you're building up possession, then all of a sudden you go. Uh, it was just something that I spotted. So there weren't negatives, there were more curiosities. And I said to Scott pre-show that uh, I, I loved the Liverpool experience of being at Anfield and they were good without being great. And um, they toyed with Burnley in the last half an hour, which is a worry for Burnley because Brighton did that during the week before as well. 
like Scott. you say, you can get away with that against Burnley at home for Liverpool, where you're going to have 60-70% possession. It'll be away at City or away at Chelsea. Man United playing against the Sterling or Sancho, where if, if that is true, what you're saying, and he has got some issues, that's where it'll come to a yeah. point where Ooh, is he right? Is he not right? Same with yeah. Van Dijk. I'm gonna, and, and he's so far advanced, Scott. He's basically right, right wing yeah. for Liverpool. That uh, Dwight McNeil had his best game for Burnley on the left wing because on the turnover of the ball, Burnley got the ball to McNeil, and Alexander wasn't in the right back slot where I know you've played before, and, and you're ready to defend. He's running back towards right back from right wing. So he was never really in the right position to defend. So I think there's always going to be question marks about his defending because he's always in the wrong position to defend because he's so good on the attack. Yeah, 100%, yeah. So what about Harvey Elliott then? Because he had a decent oh. game, didn't he? But the thing is, he, he's all yeah. left foot at the moment, isn't he? Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, mate. If, if, if your left foot's as good as that and you're all left foot and you're playing for the European champions, the ex-Premier League champions, you are worth your place and your weight in gold he, no can't, we can't all be blessed to be two-footed still it was a he, he was he was brilliant and with that left foot um and he actually played most of the game in right midfield mm-hmm. so so on that left foot the pitch was open it was wide open for him to find gaps switch play uh, get it into those three amazing strikers um you don't you don't start for liverpool in the first home game of the season, randomly, if you're not a special talent. And it took me about five minutes to realise why he was starting. He was brilliant. Brilliant still. Absolutely. Well, Scott, I mentioned Liverpool's uh, potential title challenge, mate. When you look at what they've got in reserve, um, it's, it's absolutely outstanding. You've got Kanate, who was at Leipzig last season. Thiago, yeah, Firmino was on the bench. Gomez came off the bench. Minamino is still there. They've got Jones. Uh, Robertson was on the bench. Now, I don't think they're going to have as many injuries as they did last season. I think last season was a bit of an anomaly. Um, I, I don't know a team that's had so many injuries at one stage of the season like they did. You know, Fabinho, for crying out loud, he didn't play because his dad passed away, so he had to go to the funeral. So that's another player. Um, in terms of strength and depth, then, do you think they're probably the, the better equipped side of everyone in the league? No, I think Man City have got the best strength. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Man City second eleven could get in the top four or challenge for the top four in comparison to the others personally. Uh, but you know, there's not it's not night and day. I think the like you say, Liverpool squad is 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 super best squad Liverpool have had in my lifetime. Anyway, um, I think a big thing about Liverpool as well is, is they were absolutely unbelievable, weren't they, for two years? The year they won the Champions, how did they never won the Premier League that year as well? Did you get ninety? Six or ninety-seven points. Obviously, yeah. huge credit to Man City. They were unbelievable that year. Then they won it again the next year. But that summer in between, all the players were playing. Whereas this summer now, you've got Mane, Salah. They've had the sun. They've had a rest. <clears throat> that is that would be such a big difference to, to Liverpool's title challenge. Yeah, of course. The luck they had with the injuries last year was you could never you never predict that as a I'm sure Klopp or the fans would never have thought that could happen in, in a million years. Um, selling Lovren, who, who again, I don't think the fans like, but if they'd have kept Lovren, he might have actually solved some of the problems at centre-back with Matip, Gomez and Van Dijk all getting injured. I mean, you just couldn't couldn't write it. I think Nath Village came in, did a good job. That's right, yeah. Um, 
But now strengthened that I think Man City, I mean, Mendy's and Chenko, the centre back, Diaz, Laporte, Stones was, was superb last season. Walker, uh, Cancelo, they've got two like top world class players for every single position. The mountain midfielders they've got is scary. The wide players now, even with Grealish, Bernardo Silva, the Bruyne, Foden, it's, I think Man City got the best squad, in my opinion. Even Chelsea squad. Chelsea had, didn't have Thiago Silva, Kante, uh, Pulisic, Ziyech, all didn't play for Chelsea. I, I think this could be the best, the most exciting Premier League we've seen in May. I think it'd be great if, if the four teams you've mainly spoken about tonight, if they were all in and around it come April time. I think it could be a could be an amazing season. Mm, absolutely. The one thing I will say in closing, when it comes to Liverpool, Keita, uh, Matip, Salah, uh, Mane, and Konate. I think maybe on um, African Cup of Nations duty in January, if I'm not mistaken. So that could yeah, be a big. Have a massive impact, couldn't it then? Yeah. Well. Yes, sir. Just very quickly, just going back to what you said before about Solskjaer, I think, uh, about in-game management. I was doing a commentary for the BBC and I mentioned that there was a change in the game. Now, I'm going to give this to Klopp, but I don't know if it was Klopp or if it was the lads themselves, but it just shows you. I just mentioned that Jota and Mane had, had swapped positions. So Jota went to the left wing and Mane went to centre forward. Now, if that was Jurgen Klopp, Mane scored 50 seconds later. So if, if that was the manager's decision and it just didn't happen in the flow of the game, then it's, then it's just a, a, like a genius at work because he, he, he knew there was a flow. He knew there was uh, something coming, but it wasn't happening for Jota. If he put Mane through the middle for him to score within the same minute, it's, it, it, it's incredible and it separates the genius from the average. And I saw it with my own eyes because that's exactly what happened. Fantastic. Well, look, we've got a few more games before we wrap up, but we'll go it quick fire. Uh, I know Scott might have to have an early night. He's probably got training in the morning. Uh, that. Let's, let's, let's talk about let's talk about your old boys then. Leeds drew two against Everton, mate. Um, I don't know uh, if that was a good, a better result for Everton or Leeds. I know Everton had a good start to the season, obviously beating Southampton, but to go to Ellen Road to get two goals is, is impressive. Um, but Leeds fought back. But where do you think the problem lies for Leeds? Because, you know, um, Steve and I have been talking about Bielsa and his system and how he's very attack-minded and it's almost as if he won't change for anyone. That's how he's going to play and that's it. What does he need to do to shore things up defensively? Because they're leaking goals at front centre and they're cheap goals as well. I don't think he cares. I think exactly what you've just said. I think he's got that way of playing. He's probably played that way from when he first started out as a manager. It's brought him success everywhere he's been. And he, listen, I've got a few mates there who who were still there from what, the time I was there. But I, he just strikes me as the type who is so bold. And going back to when we were talking about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, about being, uh, is he, have they got that ruthless edge? He just strikes me as that type who he doesn't care what any pundit, paper, fan, anybody says, this is how my teams play and I ain't changing for anybody. Because you look at you know, going to Old Trafford on the opening day of the season, the biggest pitch probably in the league, and playing how he plays, man to man, pressing. It, it just it, he's obviously just doesn't 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 phase him, doesn't bother him. So I think ultimately the way they play, they will score goals and they'll concede goals. And I just think that's it'd be great for any neutrals going to Ellen Road this season. But 
you know, it's just that's how it is. And I think he's he's the type of coach that he might tweak one or two things, and I'm sure he, him and his staff will be looking at how he can concede less goals. But he probably won't want to come away from his his beliefs and his philosophies too much because then it might, you know, might alter things going forward. But yeah, he just strikes me as that type of this is how I'm playing, this is how I want my team to play, this is how we train, this is how we do it. And, you know, it's brought me success. You know, I remember his athletic Bilbao teams going to Old Trafford and they dominated Man United, to be to be honest. They had uh, Munain and the Herrera, you know, they had a really good side. And, you know... Llorente what, was up front, wasn't he? Yeah, Llorente, yeah. Munain was in that team. Yeah. So he might be thinking, you know, why would I change, you know, Leeds, Leeds aren't going to go and get in the top six realistically. So why not just go for it every game and, and, and see what could happen? So you being a former Leeds player, what does this uh, Premier League campaign mean to their fans? Obviously they came up, but there was no fans in the stadium. But this year they're all back. The atmosphere at Ellen Road, you know what it's like. Uh, uh, can, you, can you describe it? It'll be absolutely huge for them. Absolutely huge. They um such a big club, one club city. They they'll be want they've been waiting for this moment for well from the next the first season they dropped out the Premier League. They almost felt like due to the size of the club and the history of the club, it just was almost like it should have been a given that the club that big, listen, they had huge problems off the pitch with owners and stuff. That's all being well documented. So the fans, I'm sure the atmosphere was was amazing there on um, on Saturday. And they've been waiting for that moment for, for 16 years. Um, I think they were close, actually, the first year they, they got relegated in, in the championship. A little bit of investment went on the stadium instead of the squad. I remember people saying, during my time here, I could have jumped them straight up. They even went down to League One, don't forget. Leeds, you know, a club that size, um, you know, they, they, they've had a lot of turmoil off the pitch and they, they've had some tough times. Um, so, yeah, their, their fans will be, will be looking forward to every game probably more than any other fan base in the Premier League, to be brutally honest, because of because of what they've been through in, in recent years and, and last year, the, the frustration of the no crowds. So, um, you know, it'll be a hostile place for teams to go there this year, for sure. 100%. Steve, sit here. You guys won 5-0 against Norwich. Um, Jack Grealish scoring his first goal for the club, even though I don't think you knew too much about it. Um, I don't know what to ask you, with this one, because I think we all knew that Norwich were going to get a hiding. I think we knew that City were going to be ruthless, given the, the first day of season against Spurs. Um, another day at the office, I guess. Yeah, it feel, feels like it still. Um, unfortunately, it seems like we have to put in a shocking, really dismal performance every season at Tottenham and get beat for us to kick in, because um, that happened last season and it's happened again this. Um, the manager keeps... Um, foxing us a little bit with selection uh, this time uh, to his benefit, the team's benefit by playing Gabriel Jesus on the right wing as a flyer, uh, as opposed to um, a dribbler like Mares or Bernardo Silva or Phil Foden. It was get the job done quickly, um, which was superb to see. So that puts the tally of about seven or eight players that can play right wing for us now. Um, and then obviously Torres comes in and, uh, I don't like the word, but false number nine, um, but in, number nine at the right time. Um, to put the question mark again, are we actually going to get a centre forward or not? But as you quite rightly say, we clicked back into gear. This good business day at the office. The bat line was a lot higher. The extra fullback was into midfield to outnumber 
And of course, they could have scored 10 against Norwich. So uh, a good way to basically reset the season, but uh, it'll uh, count more next weekend when we've got, well, hopefully not against Arsenal, but hopefully now we can go on a bit of a run and get those points back that we lost first game. Right. Um, I want to quickly talk about Aston Villa against Newcastle United. Now, Danny Ings scored probably the greatest goal he ever scored in his football career, but it was overshadowed by comments made by Dean Smith a full time congratulating, was it Austin McPhee, I think his name is? Is that who he is, Austin McPhee? Who's the throwing coach? Um, he, he played for, I don't know who he played for. He played for Calden Beath, wasn't it? Or did he coached Calden Beath? I, I don't know. But he's come in as a throwing coach and Yes, that was the main reason why Danny Ings scored a fantastic goal because the throwing coach taught Matty Cash or whatever his name is to throw the ball 15 yards at Tyrone Mings. Um, uh, Scott, um, you're not in our WhatsApp group. Um, I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing given the stuff that Rodri sends. Um, but we were, we were discussing this conversation that... Um, Gary Lineker had with Danny Murphy on actually I didn't see it but Steve kind of was giving me a, a rough idea so what happened they were disagreeing about whether it was uh, something new or something I mean we've we've seen over the years people like Rory Delap launch the ball in the box w- with a throw in it's not anything new so mm. what's this fascination with throwing coaches all of a sudden I don't get it I don't get it because uh, probably because I'm not involved, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know to be honest. I've not, um, I've not been at a club where they've had a specific throwing coach. You know, every the day before every game. Um, certainly the last two or three clubs I've been at, and it's got, it heading that way now. The the coach or the assistant manager or the manager goes through attacking defensive set pieces, corners, free kicks, throw-ins. You know. The only, I mean, I guess a throwing coach must just sit at a desk with a laptop and just look through hundreds, thousands of corners, throw-ins, free kicks from all games in all levels all over the world and come to some sort of statistical conclusion of a certain way. of. It's the only thing I can think of, really, um, to get this sort of tight. I know Liverpool had one, didn't they? I think a few years ago, one of the first clubs. I personally don't really get it because from my experience as a player I'm sure Steve will know as well you might have three corners that you do um, one hand two hands bounce ball you do you go here this player will run this position we're trying to exploit the back post the near post we're going to do a cutback we're going to try something clever you know there's not for someone to have a position in a football club is it a set piece coach. I mean, I'd love to actually find out what what they actually do, what the job entails, but I don't, I don't get it really. Um, you know, like I say, all coaches go through attack and defensive throw-ins, your position, where they anticipate the opposition's gonna gonna go, and where they watch videos from previous games of the opposition. And yeah, that that's that's all I really see it as, really. To be to be brutally honest, I, I don't get it. Steve, um, you certainly. You sent me an article, was it today or yesterday, about AFC Wimbledon trialling a substitutions coach. Yeah, it's um, embarrassing. Yeah, apparently this guy got the job because he did some research on, on substitutions. I... It's embarrassing still. It's embarrassing. Just very quickly going, but it's an insult to our intelligence. Um, 
I'm all for these small margins to help you win. And if a throwing coach is uh, quite rightly, as I said to you, Scott said the same, is studying how people defend the 18-yard box, sat on a computer all day, then all of a sudden you're seeing a move where a couple of your players run underneath the ball and take some defenders away. Then one of your players runs into one of theirs and blocks them. And all of a sudden, Danny Ings gets himself free in the box. You're going, well done. Well done. That was done in the classroom, then done on the training pitch, and it's helped you win a game. Well done. But when you're throwing it 18 yards onto your centre-half's head, who tries and tries and tries again and eventually flicks it into the middle of the box, and the third-best striker in the Premier League gets a volley off, and probably it's a great finish. Are we talking like the Emperor's New Clothes here or something? You know, what primary school team did never do this where you used to throw the ball to the biggest player as near as you can to the goal and hope something would happen. And uh, Dean Smith saying, oh, a lot of kudos will go to my set piece man for this. It was thrown onto Tyrone Mings at six foot four, who jumped to six foot seven, who added it to a great striker. There was nothing new about it. There was nothing good about it other than the fact that the finish was amazing. So then you see this AFC Wimbledon trial in a substitutes coach. It gets my goal a little bit still because I'm recognising now that people are trying to be creative, innovative and just do new things, even if it is new at all. It's possibly not even new. A lot of it's bullshit, but people are trying to modernise and do something uh, flashy for the first time. Um, and like I said, the most annoying thing is, is the ones who are doing it and pretending it's for the first time, but it's been going on 100 years. That's what I saw with the Villa throw. Scott, apart from that, it was a good win for Aston Villa. Um, mentioned Danny Ings' goal. They obviously scored from the penalty spot. Um, I don't think they miss Jack Grealish at the moment because uh, uh, Buendia had a very good game. But in terms of their league position, don't forget this is a club that, had it not been for um, goal line technology not working at uh, Villa Park, they'd have gone down, wouldn't they? So are, are they making progress under Dean Smith? And especially now that John Terry's gone as well. Yeah, I think he's done a. I think he's done a great job. To be fair, uh, getting them promoted, it's not easy to get out the championship. Steve knows Steve worked there. Um, it's a tough, tough league. So to get promoted, even if you're a huge club like Villa, still a tough task. And then, obviously, a bit of luck, like you say, with the the goal line stuff um, last year. But yeah, I, I think I think they, they triggered a clause to Newman City to take Grealish, and I think they've used that money well so far. I think Buendia is a top player. Um, obviously they got off to a disappointing start last week uh, away at Watford um, but I, I think Ashley Young's a good good bit of business for him I think he's got great experience just won the um, the Serie A over in Italy um, you know played hundreds of games for Man United I think that would be a good signing for him um, and yeah I, I think they'll have a good year I think he really, seems a really good coach um, and I think he's done a good job there and I think they'll keep progressing Lovely. And Steve Nuno went back to Wolverhampton, got the three points for Spurs. Although I guess um, they have their new goalkeeper to thank the Wolves for losing that game because he had a bit of a nightmare conceding that penalty. But then again, he did make four or five good saves later on in the game. Um, Spurs were dangerous on the counter-attack, though, as they did last week. Yeah, they did. Um, probably a different style of play, although they were big on the counter-attack last year, but that was by dropping Son and Kane into defensive areas and breaking from there. But, you know, we all discussed it so many times. You couldn't keep that up for the whole season without blowing up. I think the key to this is Deli Alley. Um, 
I'm careful what I say here because it's been a while, but it's certainly showing the MK Don's form by playing deeper. Um, and I've seen it with a lot of young players, Stel, with talent. And it's it's the coach's fault, but Deli Alice took a lot of criticism for his form. Um, should we even say it's up to about two years now? Might even be more. It was the back end of Pochettino's reign because he was yeah. benching him quite a lot. And then Mourinho came in and he gave him that whole, are you Deli Ali's brother? And he started all right under Jose, okay. but then afterwards downhill. So, yeah, I mean, how has that been? It's probably been about two years. I'd we'll say, say yeah. two years. Well, yeah. I think, I think obviously, you know, it's a great podcast that, that you run. It's open to debate. I think I've got this one sussed because I've seen it with so many good young players. When you are an attacking midfield player and you end up in the number 10 position, eventually you start getting picked as a number 10. Once you get picked as a number 10, you are immediately man-marked, you are immediately facing the wrong way, and you are immediately limited to how many touches you can have on the ball in that position at number 10. And the easiest thing to do is, and it's not a negative move, is move that player back to number eight and just keep encouraging him to run to number 10. And if he gets free... He's also facing the right way, so there's always an there's always an over enthusiasm to always a number ten playing there, but you just get blocked out of the game. So it looks like Deli Ali now is playing deeper, and he can time his runs. He made the running between the centre halves for the penalty, and when he runs forward now elusively, he is at least facing the goal and not the wrong way. And I feel like I've watched him for England having to play one touch because he's been marked by a defensive midfield player facing his own goalkeeper and not theirs. So hopefully we'll see the best of him now. Don't know what you think about that. I think he's a fantastic footballer, mate. I really do. And I think he's had his distractions off the field. We don't know what's happening in his personal life as well. And a lot of footballers go through this. And, and Scott, I'm sure you've got stories, Steve, you've got stories of players who haven't fulfilled their potential because of personal issues. I mean, we saw Mason Greenwood last season go through a really bad patch. And then we found out his mate committed suicide. And you're thinking, well, that. That's obviously got to play a part in his in his football career. It's very difficult to flick that switch and be professional all the time. So I think something similar happened to, to Dele Alli. Maybe he had distractions off the field. Maybe he had personal problems. I don't know. But Scott, this lad is full of talent, isn't he? I mean, it was at, was it the Euros? Was it Euro 2016 it was at for England? It's good, yeah, isn't it? 2016, wasn't it? So it wasn't long ago. So he's, he's a good player. He's what, 25, 26 now? Is he older than that? No, I think it's about right, yeah. yeah. I don't think he's much older than that. He is. I, yeah, I completely agree. I think he's got so much, so many uh, good assets to his game. Um, and I, funnily enough, actually, what Steve was saying there is spot on. He, he doesn't strike me as the type, well, I, I don't think he is the type of player who's that silky number 10 who gets the ball between the lines, got really good skills. He's more of a, a powerful runner from deep, making the box, supporting the, the, the striker. I personally see that's where the strength lie. And I signed for MK Dons not long after he left. And that's what all the people said there. He, he played as a in a two, a sitting two in midfield. And they said when he had space to run with or without the ball, he could just drive, open his legs. And that was where he, he sort of got the, wow, you know, what a player. He, he wasn't, like Steve said, a number 10 who was getting in between the lines, trying to pick up clever pockets, get on the half saying It just wasn't not what he did. Um, and going back to the, the dip in form, yeah, listen, there's so many things that could happen to players. It, it could be how he gets treated from the manager, 
the manager's training, there's so many things, you know, under his best spells of Pochettino, he could have been really happy off the pitch. Uh, his life could have been great. The training could have suited him perfectly. Physically, he felt really good. Uh, Pochettino looked like he put an arm around him and made him feel loved. That, made, that could go a long way. Certain players need different things to hit their top level. It only takes one or two of them things to 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 drop off or to to change. And all of a sudden, he's questioning this, he, things like that. And it, it often happens to very few players go through 10 to 15 years of the career at the top. So it's only really Ronaldo and Messi who, who haven't had a dip in form, who I can think of, maybe Kane as well. So, you know, there's, there's hundreds of reasons. I see, you know, it could be maybe family issues, uh, off the pitch stuff. There's, there's loads and loads of, like playing with certain players, certain players just work in a certain system, in a certain team, playing a certain way, and it just brings the best out of him. You know, he's had a few managers there now. You might have tweaked things for him. There's so many different reasons for for why it just might not work. Um, obviously, as a player, I think you always look at yourself first. Can I do anything? Can, is there anything more I can do? Am I getting the best out of myself? And a lot of the time, players, you know, I've never played with any players, really, many who don't really give their all or aren't trying or anything like that. I don't think that's ever really the question. Because um, I think he got his, his hunger questioned a few times, didn't he? A couple of years back, um, you know that that might not be the case. It could be any any of the things I've just mentioned. But there is, you know, there's so many things um, that can affect whether the player is playing at the top level or not. Mentally, mental issues, confidence. You know, there's so much stuff. Hundred percent. I mean, if you look at someone like I don't know uh, Patrick Bamford, I think he's a good example of a player that has played for Norwich. He was a was he a Forest with you? No, so he he, I signed for Forest on loan in January, and he just signed for Chelsea for the Right, right. He, I think he played two or three games for North Forest in the in the cup, um, and then he moved to Chelsea. But yeah, yeah. Look, you know, he's now made his sort of. I think he had a good loan spell at Middlesbrough, and then he again he went to a few clubs. Didn't really happen for him, and now all of a sudden he, he finds himself at Leeds, and it just it just works. I mean, you see that happen. Some clubs just don't fit certain people or like I say the tactical style of how the team plays the way the manager treats them there's so many much stuff that goes on that that can affect affect the player and how they how they perform mm, absolutely well I think there's only one more game to cover Steve and you're going to love this one with Brighton beating um, Watford Tuna the reason why I love this is because last week we spoke about XG didn't we how the there's a story going around where if Brighton had converted their XG, they would have been 27 points better off for some something stupid. Well, they scored twice. They got a good win against Watford. Another Watford's manager was saying that we need to start getting used to the Premier League, which is understandable because they just got promoted. But the defensive mistakes there, I don't know, you'd be pulling your hair out, no? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the confidence of the of the week before, um, I get the feeling that Watford went into that game. Again, a bit like a Leeds mentality, probably. We'll, we'll try and win again. But they probably learned that you've got to make sure that you don't lose first. Uh, a little bit wide open. Uh, a little bit on a stretch at the, at, at the back. Um, I think there will be a, a version of Leeds this year, Watford. No way will they finish as high. So I don't want to be misquoted there. But like a hit miss or maybe. I think at times they could be erratically superb, especially if Saar gets the run of any left-back like he did against Target of Aston Villa. But you also get the feeling that that's exposed him now and they're more aware of him now and that there'll be a left-back across the country 
um, not uh, not as uh, unaware as Target was that day. That will lock that side down, I think, and he won't get as much joy possibly again. I do think that. And I just think that Watford at times will excite, but often they'll disappoint because I don't think they've got the players, but they look like they're going to have a, a right go and be and be wide open. And um, Brighton are, are establish themselves, establishing themselves now as an evolving Premier League team that's on the way up and will finish higher than last season, I think. Do you know what, mate? I'm, I'm very disappointed with how the, the newspapers and the press don't give Duffy, Dunk and Sanchez the credit they deserve because I know it's all you could talk about, Trossard and Molpe and McAllister and Basuma, whatever, but those three players, like Duffy and Dunk, they, they have been absolutely solid. You know, with Ben White going, they've been absolutely solid. And again, I don't think they get the credit they deserve. What do you, what do you guys think? Well, I certainly think, just before I hand it over to Scott, that you, you've just mentioned three players there and Duffy spent all last year away from the club. Sanchez played for a full season at Rochdale in League One. Uh, and Dunk has been growing now as a, as a real, uh, almost like a Harry Maguire type, um, plays the minutes, plays the games, can get you a goal from a set play. Um, so, so yeah, and, you know, that experience, you, you know, sometimes not even the best experience can end up being good experience for you. Playing in League One if you're the goalie, not being able to get in the team last year, but you can turn it back round if, you know, again, with the right coaching, the right encouragement, a little bit of luck. And it is only two games, but you have to say the three you mentioned are completely on top of their game. What do you reckon, Scott? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Dunk, Dunk's an interesting one. Speaking about Ward Prowse earlier, being a one club man, I think Dunk, I think he can make the next step. I think he could play for maybe not a top six club, but I, I think he could go to, you know, like an Everton or Leicester. You know, I, I think he could play at that level, definitely. Um, Shane Duffy, I played against Shane loads of times. He was the same age as me in the youth team. Like you say, he's obviously showed good character to come back. He obviously. Must have come back in pre-season, good shape, um, with, a, with a fresh focus and fresh, you know, good attitude to, like you say, he went on loan last year, so obviously he wasn't hugely fancy with, with the former Ben White. And, um, yeah, the goalkeeper, yeah, again, like you say, was, uh, spent a whole year at League One level. That, that game experience, that playing for points, uh, being in a men's dressing room would have, would have brought him on leaps and bounds. And again, he's obviously gone back in pre-season, impressed the staff, impressed the manager. And, um being given a chance and, you know, so far he, he's done well. Third choice for the Spanish national team as well. Not bad. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, third choice keeper. Here you go. Brilliant. Well, gents, that's it for this episode. Thank you, Scott, for jumping on. Man. I really appreciate it. I hope you can jump on again sometime soon. Yeah, no, it's been uh, really enjoyed it. So thanks for having me, fellas. Appreciate well done, it, Scott. Thank well done, you man. very much. Steve, thank you very much. Yeah, let's chase the boy up. I said, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, we need to give him some stick. I think, do you know what? I think because he embarrassed himself last week with that wet fart, he didn't want to come back on. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's that's what it was. But yeah, that's it. Thank you everyone for tuning in. That's it for another episode. We'll be back same time next week. So until next time, take care of yourselves and each other, as Jerry Springles.